Hey, welcome to the Beckham Book Club. My name is Clark Beckham. We are going over the seven habits of highly effective people. We're on habit three. Keep the main thing the main thing. He starts off by talking about the four quadrants. And this I found is a, it's like the pinnacle of a lot of different books and something that he comes back to over and over and over again. So it's huge. So think of it uh, a square, and you cut that square up into four quadrants. The top left quadrant is going to represent things that are urgent and important. Think crisis. Think, um, oh my goodness, that tree is falling down and it's going to hit me. I have to jump out of the way. That is an important thing, and it's an urgent thing. It's right now. Uh, The quadrant to the top right hand of the square, quadrant two, is things that are not urgent, but they are important. So think um, booking a hotel a month in advance of a trip instead of on the airplane on the way to the city. That is something I have done, and that would be quadrant one. But doing things in advance proactively keeps things in uh, quadrant two. And then below that, quadrant three on the bottom left would be something that is urgent and not important. So someone walks by and you start a conversation with them and then it goes on forever and it's a pointless conversation. That is something that is urgent. It's right there. It can only happen while that person is walking by. Got to catch them. But it's not important. It doesn't do anybody any good. Um, these are specific. These aren't just, you know, there is value in conversing with friends and family. That's not what I'm talking about. I think you all know what I'm talking about when I say I've, and I think all of us have been trapped in conversations that do not help anybody for anything. And they just go on and on. Um, and then the final quadrant, things that are not urgent and not important. So playing video games mindlessly scrolling through Instagram and TikTok, the doom scrolling, that stuff that will just waste away your life and your day, which your life, if you haven't realized, is made out of days. So he he says, stay in quadrant two as much as you can. This is a great quote. He said, work on quadrant two or one and three will work on you. Reminder, one and three are the things that are urgent and important and urgent and not important. And boy, is that true. If we just live our life and we only deal with the things, we procrastinate and we only deal with the things that are right in front of us have to happen now, that is living in quadrant one and it forces you to do things and change your day because it's urgent and it's important or it's not important and you still get lost in it. The more we can say in urgent in quadrant two, the more organized our life is going to be, balanced. Uh, it's it's about prevention instead of preventing crisis crises. Um, we had a on American Idol. We had a producer who was all about being proactive, not reactive. And he was talking about, he was referring to that second quadrant. 
Um, principles help you know when to break disciplines, something he said. So, for example, people are more important than my, my, uh, my schedule. Maybe I have um, a workout scheduled at 9 a.m., but a conversation I had with my wife um, before that is more important if that goes longer than I thought it would. And we are in the, it's a way more valuable thing to have a meaningful present conversation with a loved one, especially a spouse, than to stick to your schedule. Uh, he says that to remember that your schedule is a servant to you. You're not a servant to it. Um, speaking of schedules, I got a little bit of head of myself. When he talks about, okay, how do we stay in quadrant two? So as you sit down and you, you write out these things, first, what are your roles? Another way I can see this is, um, what are, what are your identities? Like, who are you and who do you want to be? Stealing a little bit from James Clear and Atomic Habits, but finding our identity first to shape our goals and our and our our day and our direction that we take in our life. So what are your roles first? So for me, my roles, I'm in uh, I'm a teacher, an educator, um, a dean of music. And so those that role has certain goals that I have for the school of music and um ultimately for students themselves to be equipped. I'll have many other roles like a songwriter and a performer and a husband and um, other things, but let's just stick with, with that first role of an educator. So what are those goals? I have goals for this program to equip students to become musicians that are successful musically and Um, economically in the world of music today. It's a big emphasis. Okay, great. What are tasks to do that is the next question. Tasks would be, let's make sure um, our professors are poured into and they feel passionate about the direction and they're in the loop of everything and they feel valued. Let's make sure the classes are strong and are um, organized where they're building on top of each other from semester to semester, and um, let's make sure our students have a voice and are valued because it's all about them. Those are our tasks. The next thing is scheduling. Okay, let's schedule out some meetings with students. Let's schedule out some um, fun, like social gatherings with professors to promote unity and friendship and trust. And then once you schedule those things out, the next thing is to daily adapt to unforeseen events. So you've got your schedule, and it doesn't matter how great it is, there's always going to be things that come up that you have to adapt for. And that's when you go back to principles helping you know when to break things in your schedule. Um, He says, be efficient with things. With tasks that need to be done, be efficient and make sure you only spend as much time as you need to. Be effective with people. People, um, when you're dealing with people, whether that's a personal 
relationship or business relationship, those things, or students, or in my case, those things you can't schedule a 15-minute talk if you want to get something done effectively, like make them feel included and listen to them and hear the problem. It might take longer than that. Um, and in that case, the person and the effectiveness of the talk that you're having is superior as far as importance than the efficiency of it. He said, he's like, uh, I had something at 10 a.m. And so, or no, 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 he talked about his son. His son was breaking up with a girlfriend. Um, he was going to college and he was breaking up with his girlfriend, I think of like his high school girlfriend. And he scheduled out 15 minutes of a, a 15 minute phone call, 15 minutes to talk to her. Uh, and he said that phone conversation ended up being three hours. And he couldn't have just hung up after 15 minutes, but oh, this is all my schedule allows. Um, people might need more than that. So it's a little loose with people and that's okay. Your schedule is your servant, not your master. Um, he talks about the power of delegation and how you can get so much more done when you delegate. That's pretty agreeable. But the point that he makes that I think is significant is when you delegate, you can delegate what he calls gopher delegates and stewards. Um, the gophers are, hey, go for that, go for that, do this, do that, go get coffee, go do this one thing. It's task-oriented, like, but very simplistic, like, go get my coffee, shut that door, refill my drink, things like that. They don't have an overall goal other than the specific task. The steward delegate is when you have someone, you're making sure that they see and understand the overall goal. They know the parameters. They know the limitations of their reach and their resources. They know their, they know the limitations and they also know what they do have at their disposal when it comes to resources and the freedom they have. And then you give them the power to, to actually accomplish that goal. And then you plan their evaluation. That's important. I think sometimes you're like, yeah, man, it's what I need. Take it. I trust you. But then you you don't evaluate and see how it's going and you just kind of cross your fingers. Or you genuinely believe they'll do a great job, but it doesn't matter how much you trust them. You need to plan evaluation. Like, all right, how am I going to evaluate their pro their progress? You know, is it going to be weekly? I'm going to check in and not ask them, but actually see what's going on. Is it biweekly? You know, what is it? Um, I think I said this before, but all seven habits are in quadrant two. All of them, all of our life, as much as we can, needs to spend be spent in quadrant two. So think about what's a two, what's a quadrant two thing that you've been neglecting? For me, I am notorious for figuring out rental cars and places to stay the day I'm arriving at a location. And even if it works, it really can't be argued that it would be better if I had done it in advance. Not just for the stress and the time that I wouldn't have to deal with the day of, of finding somewhere, but there are better 
options. They're cheaper options. You get a discount on Rover, or not Rover, on Turo if you book out in advance. And then there are more cars available. There are cheaper uh, hotels often available, more hotel rooms available. So you have better choices and you have less stress. Uh, that's one. That's one for me. Here's something that I think everybody needs to do, especially if uh, concerning the second the quadrant thing. If you want to know where you'd spend your day, log everything that you do in one day. Just write down literally everything that you do and the time that you do it, and then I and then after the day's over identify what quadrant every activity was in and then you'll see uh, how you're doing. You can't talk your way out of situations you behaved yourself into. This is something that he goes over a lot. And think of it as if you've, if you've lost trust, you can't talk your way back in. You cannot. Um, or if it's... It's really about who you are really rules over what you say or who you say you are. So if I'm late uh, to class, every class for a month, um, I, I can tell the professor or whoever is instructing, okay, I'm, I'm, no, I'm on time. Like I am, I am on it. I am passionate about this and uh, I'm going to be the best student you've ever had, doesn't really mean much because the way that you behaved has shown that that's not true. So you can't talk your way out of situations you behaved yourself into. And people need to stop pretending that... Um, I, th- I see people do this where they'll, well, they'll say like, okay, I told you I'd get better. It's like, no, you can't expect someone to believe anything you say unless you've been that already. And I've even found you know, success in communicating and showing like sincerity to people when I have needed to apologize, which is all the time. When I say things like, um, I'm sorry, I did this and I've done it multiple times. I know that the trust is, is broken in that regard. And this can be something big or something very small, like being late or, um, leaving the, toothpaste cap off anything and I've said like I know that my words don't mean much and that but you're gonna see my actions in the future you're gonna watch that and you don't have to say okay and everything's good right now this is something that needs to be built and I'm fully prepared to to build that trust back I'm sorry this happened and um it's gonna look better but I know that you need to see that first. Even that will make people be like, okay, at least they feel heard and seen and understood. Um, Social, he talks about the importance of mastering self. He said, when it comes to social success, he said, social success without mastery of self is only possible when everything is going right. Someone cuts you off, you're having a great time, you're driving and you're talking to a friend, someone cuts you off and you freak out and you start screaming. That makes that person uncomfortable. If you have mastery of self, then you can handle that situation well and everyone's good. Everyone's safe, no one's angry, no one's yelling. 
Um, but if you didn't have any mastery of yourself and no one cut you off, then it seems like you're fine. But newsflash, things go wrong. Things come up. Crises happen. And that's why it's important to have mastery of self. Always. Um, and then the last thing I'll talk about that he mentions that is huge for me, he talks about the emotional bank account. When you pour in love and respect to people, you deposit into their emotional bank account, your emotional equity, building trust and mutual respect. When you do that, when you need to withdraw, whether that's you do something wrong, you say something wrong, or you need a favor from them, then you're, if you've got plenty in the bank, if you have a history of loving them and respecting them and helping them, that's no problem. But when you have nothing in the bank with this person, all of a sudden, any word that you say, any phrasing, all of a sudden could be very offensive and they could get defensive and offended because they don't know you like that. You haven't showed trust. You haven't showed love like that. But if I'm talking to a best friend who my emotional bank account is rich with, and I say something that kind of sounds offensive and like comes across wrong, they're not offended because they know me. He would never, he would never do that or he'd never think that way or he'd never try to be like that. Um, It also allows the person that you're dealing with to live, he says, to live according to the laws of life with patience and understanding to you when you've given them that full bank account. When it's short, it's almost like you're forcing people into a defensiveness and into the antithesis of all of the peaceful habits. So he breaks down a couple ways to invest and to deposit currency into the emotional bank account of other people. He said, care about, this is, oh my gosh, this is great. Care about what's important to that person as much as you care about that person. I'm going to say it again. Care about what's important to that person as much as you care about that person. So, Chanley is telling me about this new fashion design for couches. That by itself has no interest in any way, shape, or form to me. By itself. If I if Chanley and I weren't married, I didn't know her, and I was just a random person, and someone was that came up on my Instagram feed, I would spend 0.0 seconds looking or reading about that. But because she cares about it so much, there's a little interest to me inherently just because she's interesting to me. But it doesn't need to stop there. It can't be just, okay, well, I don't care about that, so you do you and I'll do me. When you really take time to care about that thing as much as you care about them, that is investing so much importance and life 
into them because they we identify with the things that we care about. If I love Oklahoma football, which I do, and Chanley, and it doesn't, here's the thing, because I was talking to this, to, uh, talking about this with Chanley, and she made a great point. She said, well, there's no way I can love, for, let's say Oklahoma football. She said, there's no way I can love Oklahoma football as much as I love you, because I love you so much, and I don't like football. Like, there's no way. So it's important to say, like, it's not even that you have to legitimately become as passionate about something in itself as you are about that person that you would give your life for. She's not going to give her life for football, right? So that's not parallel like that. It's more understand that what they care about is a part of them. And when you approach that thing that they care about as it's connected to them, understand that whatever, however you treat that thing, you are treating that person that way, if you love that thing, you are loving them. If you discard that thing and think it's stupid, then you are discarding them and telling them that they're stupid. That's harsh and blunt, but it is gospel truth. And he brings that up. It's so good. Um, care about the little things. The, the little easy things do so much. If uh, Chanley comes out, um, in the morning, I wake up before she does. When she comes out, if I have a glass of water, she takes like little supplements in the water, like iodine and um, some other minerals. If I've already got that ready for her, that goes a long way and it took me 10 seconds to do. Um, things like that, the little, little things. If she gets in the car and... Um, I cleared out her seat so she could sit and wouldn't have to move a water bottle over. And she notices that I did that. That goes a long way. These little deposits have huge um, return on your investment. Commitments. Sticking to commitments. This one's tough um, for me because, and I think a lot of people, because in the moment someone asks you something, and you cannot think of any reason why you wouldn't be able to do that and why you wouldn't do that. And so you say, yes, let's do, absolutely, I will. Then something later comes up that will, that will cause you to want to not do that thing. Now what are you going to do? And sometimes it's clear. Sometimes it's like, oh, I really wanted to go to the pool, but now I have to go meet with this person instead. Like, obviously it's like, yeah, go meet with that person. But, and then I'm kind of genuinely asking, what about when it's, like there are obvious things, like if there are, if there's a family crisis or a health crisis and you have to rush to the hospital for something like that, obviously you go do that thing. But sometimes you've got commitments, like soft commitments, like a, like a deadline you've got to hit. I guess that would go back to quadrant two. You got to make sure you handle that and schedule that out and make sure you get the time that you need to before that commitment. That one's hard though. Um, but breaking commitments is a way to withdraw a lot from that emotional bank account and keeping commitments deposits it. And we just want to keep the deposits coming. Um, this was cool. A way to build a, uh, wealth 
in an emotional bank account is by being loyal to those who aren't present in the conversation. He, he defines integrity as that. He says integrity is being loyal to those who aren't present. And when you are, it gains trust from those who are present. This was really cool for me. So if we're in a conversation and just we just start hating on somebody and everybody is in one accord of talking about how this person drives them nuts, everyone is in agreement and everyone's doing it. If even you, if you stop yourself and go, hey, let's, let's, let's chill out a little bit. Let's not go deep into this and... I, you know, and you stop and you're loyal to that person who isn't present, even though you were all doing it, you just gained trust and even you deposited wealth in the emotional bank account of everyone in that room. Some might be like, man, why you got to be like that? And you're acting holier than thou. Like that is a rare, rare case for the vast majority of the time. People are going to respect you more and trust you more because they know that you're not talking trash about anybody about them either um, if when they're not present. And then the last thing uh, is apologizing sincerely. This is like the number one, one of the top, top, top skills. Of, I don't know if that's the right word that you need for marriage. And that's not supposed to be a funny thing. Like get good at apologizing because you're going to screw up a lot. But that is actually exactly what I'm saying. Because when you live with another person or have any type of relationship that's very close, you're going to do things that hurt the other person and there's no way around it. There's nothing you can do about it. Now, you can you can try your best versus not trying at all. That's something you can do about it. But it doesn't matter how hard you try. You're going to say things. You're going to do things that are going to hurt that person. Here's what's so important. This is like my, I've only been married for three years, but this is my marriage advice to people all the time. Never, ever, ever apologize for something that you don't believe was wrong. Never fake apologize ever. Here's what most people hear when I say that. By God, if you don't think you did anything wrong, then you just stand strong and don't apologize. Don't apologize. You didn't do anything wrong. That's actually 0.01% of the time does it look like that. 99.99% of the time, it looks like, all right, I don't think I did anything wrong here. She's mad and I don't I didn't do anything wrong. Let's think about it. I didn't do anything wrong, right? What did I do? And then when you ponder and think and then all of a sudden oh shoot. I see that now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could have done that better. I could have done that better. Right there. I could have I I I could have planned for that. I could have scheduled that out to make sure that I didn't miss that or that I took care of that or I shouldn't have said that. That was insensitive. I, I shouldn't have, period. It's okay. I understand that I said it. You can even explain why you did it in your head, not to them. 
you can explain it away like, yeah, well, that makes sense that I did it and that's what happened. And But at the end of the day, I shouldn't have said that. That mental practice is what's so important because when you go to apologize, knowing and believing that you did something wrong, that's the apology that's going to be received and it's going to give you healing for you and that other person. And it's going to make sure that you know what to change so it doesn't happen again. When you apologize just to keep the peace, there's nothing more patronizing and belittling to me than if some if I knew someone was apologizing just so I would be happy with them and they really don't think they did anything wrong or have anything to apologize for. They're just doing it to keep the peace or make peace. It's BS. It's not real. No, you did something wrong and you need to understand that you did something wrong. Um, that's how you apologize sincerely. I just started into habit four and it's awesome. We'll talk about that next time. But until then, this is the Beckham Book Club. Go read some books. <laughs> <laughs>